Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at bluenile.com for $50 off. bluenile.com code LISTEN. What's the evolutionary reason for us having anxiety, right? It actually is to survive. The problem is this survival adrenaline instinct, which you should have when a pack of lions is coming running to you in the savannah, and you don't need it because you're just trying to watch television with your family or you, you know, walking with your dog. That's the difference. And it's really horrible, but I tell you, it's really interesting. I had a friend who found me the other day. He just had a panic attack. And he went, do you mean to say that you and your patients you see experience this sort of stuff all the time? I said, yes, they do. And actually, after all this, people like you and others will suddenly realize what mental health actually means. I'm hoping that's going to be the case. And I think it will be. Because as you quite rightly said earlier, wow, everyone's feeling this now. That is psychiatrist and author, Dr. Mark Cross. And this, well, this is episode 339 of Better Than Yesterday. Hello and welcome. Welcome to Better Than Yesterday. Thank you so much for being here. This is episode 339 of the show with Dr. Mark Cross. He's an author and a psychiatrist, an extraordinary psychiatrist. Uh, You can find him on Twitter at Dr. M. Cross. It's his second time on the show. And I would recommend thoroughly you go back and check out the first time on the show. If you want more of his backstory, there's a great listen. We talked all about what it was like to grow up in South Africa, to grow up gay in South Africa under apartheid, what it was to be a gay man living under such an oppressive regime. It's fascinating, fascinating conversation, but we don't really go too much into that today. He's got a new book out. We talk a lot more about that. His book is called Anxiety, Expert Advice from a Neurotic Shrink Who's Lived with Anxiety All His Life. 
It really does what it says on the box. More about Mark in a moment. If you're new to the show, this is the first time you've listened to the show, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, what is this show? Well, the show's called Better Than Yesterday. All we're trying to do, all we're trying to do here is make today just a little bit better than yesterday. Something that you hear in this show will make you at the end of the day go, you know, as I drift off to my slumber, as I drift off to my Betty Betty buys, today was actually pretty good. I'd say it was better than it was the day before. And then something that you've heard today is going to help that happen. That's it. This a twice-weekly podcast. On Mondays, I have a conversation with a guest. On Fridays, I have a conversation with you. And that's it. That's the show. I've been here since 2013, twice a week, and I'm at your service. Um, who am I? I am a. Uh, my name is Osher Ginsberg. I'm a TV radio author guy. TV radio author guy. I make television. I'm occasionally in the radio. I haven't been on radio for a while. Maybe I should stop saying that. I'm a TV guy. I'm a podcasty guy. I'm an author. I've written a book. And there's possibly a second edition of that book coming out, which is going to be a bit bloody exciting. What else do I do? I do push-ups. I look after babies. I garden. And I ride bicycles. That's what I do. And I'm grateful that you're here. Thank you so much for coming. There's hundreds and hundreds of hours of this podcast to devour if you are new. Each episode comes with the same promise. Today, you're going to hear something that you needed to hear. That's it. That's the promise. And I stand by it. Big thank you to everybody that reached out through the week. You can always find me. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Or you can email me, sandosheremail at gmail.com. Even though I only check the email, I will see everything else. Haley screen grabs and all this stuff and sends it over to me. If you want to know why I don't have social media on my phone, you can listen to previous episodes and you will find out. But Haley, who looks after my socials, makes sure that I do see it all. So if that's the way that you want to get in touch with me, I absolutely will see it. So fear not. Thanks to everyone that did email me, sandosheremail at gmail.com. Beck sent some great photos, nice walk along the lake there, and she was enjoying the episode that I did about the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist and how the two of them can work in tandem. That was a really good episode. I enjoyed making that, and I'm grateful that you listened. Thank you so much. I hope that does bring you some movement in your mental health journey there, Beck. Kent, the total and utter legend who is Kent, Kent has now listened to every single episode of this show that I've ever done, all 339 of them and the check-ins. You're an absolute champ, Kent. Kent, listening in the car park of the Big W, either just arriving at the Big W or leaving the Big W. I don't know. It's cutting into that time of year when you want to pick up a few new flannos. So I'd like to think you're getting some new flannos there, Kent. Thanks for coming on the journey with me, mate. I really appreciate it. You would have heard a lot of changes over the years, a lot of changes in my voice, certainly in the bit where I got quite sick. Man, you can hear it in those intros. Boy, you can hear it in those intros. Holy moly. I hope I'm doing better, Kent, and thank you for being a part of the journey with me, mate. And a big thanks to Danielle, who sent a fabulous photo of her doggo, a little pug, having a sniff of something, uh, going for a walk, listening to the Animeers episode. I actually, brilliantly, Danielle, I just got off the bike about an hour ago. I went for a ride this morning with Animeers, can you believe it, on Zwift, which is that kind of online computer game that I play with my bike. So my controller is my bike. So if I want my little person on the screen to go faster and beat the other person, I actually have to pedal really hard. Um, so Anna Mears is on there and she had a, a ride this morning to um, raise awareness and raise funds for motor neuron disease. So I got to ride with her and a few other cycling luminaries and my brother, my brother and I went for a ride this morning and had a good chat um, while we rode alongside Anna in the virtual world. It was pretty, pretty awesome. I hope you're good. Whatever you're doing this week, I hope you're okay. There is a lot going on in the world, isn't there? Far out, man. I was overwhelmed a bit by it all yesterday. And I really feel for people who don't understand 
why there's so much anger and upset about black deaths in custody, it would be intense to suddenly consider that such a thing happens on our dime, on our tax dollars. And of course, denial would be an instant reaction. Of course that, you know, I get it. It would be confronting to suddenly have to consider that systemic racism is one of the things that our country's built on. Not everybody has an equal say and an equal go <laughs> to quote our Prime Minister, that your go versus my go versus a go of someone who has anything but white skin might not be the same kind of go that we get to have. Yeah, so I was dealing with a lot of that and um, had a lot of weird energy in my body, a lot of weird energy. And um, so I went and shoveled some dirt. <laughs> All right, we finally built our garden beds, which is great. I'll find a photo and I'll send a photo. But we ordered, uh, like on Thursday morning, four tons of dirt showed up. Uh, well, it was two tons of dirt, a ton of gravel and a ton of scoria. And um, everything else went into the garden, but we had this extra big bag of it, cubic meter, a ton of dirt that was sitting on the front lawn on the, on the verge there between the footpath and the road. I'm like, well, I can't really leave it out there. So um, grabbed a shovel, grabbed two wobbly Bunnings buckets, put on an audio book, and I got shoveling. And it took me about, I don't know, like an hour and a half, but I moved a ton of dirt. I had one of the empty bags and I put it in the backyard, and so I walked this two at a time, probably about 20 kilos in each bucket, down and fill the other bag up and um it took me like I said it took about an hour and a half and I felt so much better afterwards it was almost like a walking Hakomi therapy if you've ever done Hakomi therapy I have it's actually it was really quite good it's a form of trauma therapy it's really good and um I felt really good afterwards and well yeah my body hurts today it's a bit sore but that's okay it felt really good to get that energy out of my body and I felt a whole lot better and once that energy got out of my body, I, I was like, right now I'm in a position to get into action in accordance with my values. And that's a part of feeling better. And that action in accordance with my values would be to encourage, do it myself, but also to encourage you to get educated, to listen, to learn, to read, to understand what is happening in this country and what has been happening in this country in the same week a teenage Aboriginal kid says the wrong thing to a cop and gets his face smashed in. Whereas a white middle-aged mining executive can blow up 46,000 years of history, shrug his shoulders and say it was a misunderstanding. Uh, that's not all right, you know? That is not okay. And we need to be not okay with that. I am, I'm, I'm making that call. That's not an okay thing to happen. Either of those things are not an okay thing to happen. All right, the values that we place upon each of those persons agency, rights, privilege. No, that's not all right. I'm really grateful that I have been able in my time making this podcast to get some powerful Indigenous Australian voices on the show. Last week, I talked to you about listening to the Briggs episode and also the Stan Grant episode. And look, really, thank you very much. I've got a bunch of people who screen grabbed and, and let us know that they were indeed getting into those and having their eyes opened up a little bit and being prepared to have their eyes opened up a little bit. Briggs and Stan are very powerful voices and they put things very, very well. Another episode I would thoroughly, thoroughly recommend would be the chat that I had with Nakia Louie. You would have seen her over the last week or so being called upon to comment on television. She is a powerful, driven, razor-sharp, 
human being. She is an incredible voice in Australia and a brilliant advocate for Indigenous equality. When she came on this show, we talked about a lot, but one of the main things we discussed was what happens when Aboriginal people get arrested, that there's a phone number that they can call to at least tell someone that they've gone to jail. One of the causes I'm really passionate about is something like the Custody Notification Service, right, which is with the Aboriginal Legal Service. And what that is, is that came about after the Royal Commission into Deaths in Custody. And since they put that line in place, it's just a 24-hour service where it means if an Aboriginal person goes into custody, that they have someone to call. And the reason why it's for Aboriginal people is because there were an inordinate amount of Indigenous people being killed in custody as opposed to non-Indigenous people. Because a lot of people have been saying, well, shouldn't this be for everyone? It's not a problem for everyone. So it's actually there to save lives. That has been proven to save lives. That is blameless. So we're not saying we're not going into training police or anything like that. It's just going, this is a line that someone can call to notify, to say, I'm in a prison and they know that they're safe because someone else knows that they're there. Now, the thing that grabs me there is that the part where she said that it's, it's not for everyone because it's not a problem for everyone. So just kind of let that sink in a bit. The likelihood that an Indigenous person won't survive incarceration versus a non-Indigenous person, the likelihood is so dire that there has to be a phone line dedicated to letting another human being outside the law enforcement system know that they are there so as to have at least some accountability around their circumstances. That in itself should ring massive alarm bells around the system that that system needs such a phone line. The presumption of innocence is a fundamental principle of common law, and every citizen of this country deserves at least that. And I've got to say it, it's a blight on all of us that we allow our tax dollars, money that you and I earn and then pay to the government to then put into the kitty to give us our society, it's a blight that we allow our tax dollars to continue to allow a system that treats some Australians better than others and that not every person who is in that system can expect the same outcome. And that's on all of us. That is on all of us. Do I have the answers? No, I do not have the answers. Why would I have the answers? I'm a white, straight, middle-aged white guy. I don't have the answers for something that doesn't, you know, (laughs) directly. I mean, it affects me, but not directly. But I know that it starts with trying to learn as much as I can and that all progress towards a solution comes from contact with those who are different from us. So I would encourage you as much as you possibly can, reach out, educate yourself, find people in your community who live differently from you, find those in the Indigenous community, follow them online, understand their stories, and look for the things that you have in common, all right? And there'd be so many things. I mean, look, at the end of the day, every single one of us, we just want the same thing. We just want somewhere safe to sleep, a full belly, and that our kids to do better than we did. That's it. That's the same for you. That's the same for me. That's the same for people on wildly different parts of the socioeconomic spectrum from you and me. Start there. Start with understanding that as Australians, we all deserve at least that. Because as it stands, we don't all have that. And for me, that's where the problem starts. Crikey, thanks. Sorry, got to be ranty there. But thanks for listening to that. I'd encourage you to go and check out those episodes and, and good luck on your quest.
if you know, and you hear, you'll hear me say it's in IKEA, and that the more I read, the more I learn, the more I realize that I know nothing. And that's confronting in itself, but it's okay, you know, because that's a long, we didn't get taught this stuff in school because why would you teach a kid the very reason that you're here and the ability for you to have what you have because other people had to get squashed so you could have it. That's some scary shit for a kid to deal with, but that's what happened. Anyway, before we get into Dr. Mark Cross, there is another episode that I wanted to tell you about. Today, Dr. Mark Cross and I will talk a lot about anxiety and, you know, living with anxiety and dealing with anxiety. And there's another episode that I did that really focuses in on anxiety. Johan Hari, he is an extraordinary human being, a great writer, a very interesting person. One of the books he's written is called Lost Connections. And he went on an epic journey that, you know, crossed oceans to really try to uncover causes of anxiety and depression. And Johan has a, a really, really interesting hypothesis. If you're depressed, if you're anxious, you're not weak, you're not crazy, you're not a machine with broken parts, you're a human being with unmet needs. And what you need is love, help and support to get those needs met. And I think about it that way, all those years that I had been depressed, I thought of it as a personal failing, as a problem with me, either a problem in my biology or a failure in my character, or that I was doing something wrong. And the main thing I would want to say to depressed and anxious people in the position that you're in is, your pain makes sense, right? You feel these ways for a reason. I wanna hear what those reasons are. We'll figure them out together because usually when you're depressed, it's not clear to you what those causes are. And together we'll find solutions. You can find that episode with Johan Hari. Find it in the best of 2009 series from December last year. Just scroll back in your podcast feed and enjoy it. Okay, so let me tell you about my guest today. Dr. Mark Cross is a psychiatrist specializing in general adult psychiatry with a special interest in sexuality and identity issues, youth mental health, complex trauma, PTSD, bipolar, as well as mental health in the workplace. Dr. Cross has a background of training in South Africa and specialist training and consultant work in England and in Australia. He specializes in adult and general psychiatry. He's worked for over 25 years. He's a senior lecturer at UNSW as well as an acting conjoint lecturer at UWS. He and I first met um, when we both joined the board for Sane Australia in 2016. I've since stepped down from the board. I did three years there and then I stepped away. But Mark continues to carry on his excellent work there and elsewhere as nothing but a champion for better outcomes and better ethics in the psychiatry community and better outcomes for Australians struggling with mental illness. He's a a wonderful man, uh, full of love, full of compassion, full of empathy. And he's a man who's got lived experience with his own journey of anxiety. In fact, his second book does what it says on the box. It says, his book is called Anxiety, Expert Advice from a Neurotic Shrink Who's Lived with Anxiety All His Life. And it's out now. It's Mark's second time on the show. If you want to hear more about his life in South Africa, I'd recommend you scroll back and and find the earlier episode with him. You won't be disappointed. Thank you so much for being here and enjoy some time, you and me and the wonderful Dr. Mark Cross. How are you, Mark? That's great to see and chat to you, actually. (laughs) I was going to call you early in the week and I went, oh, well, I'm speaking to you now, so... (laughs) Where in the world are you? You look like you're in a in the roof somewhere. No, this is my little attic room that they had painted and locked at my red door. I don't mind a red door. 
<laughs> it's a very nice red door. Black desk, although it's a bugger keeping clean. All right. Oh, good. Good. So you're uh, you're still at work? So the, the, the issue is, and this is something you probably want to touch on, part of me, so this is cognitive dissonance, right? So part of me, and a big part of me, just wants to be at home. Mm. I don't want to move. I don't want to go anywhere. Yeah. And then the other part, of course, is that I'm a doctor and I've got a duty of care and I still have to see my inpatients. But they've changed the room around at any of their sites in Sydney. But you go in and the patient sits one side and then you go through a glass and perspex screen and door and you sit the other side and talk through the glass. A bit like prison, but it's actually not so bad. Yeah. And it doesn't go all the way to the top of the roof. Uh-huh. And the patient feels quite secure as well like that in terms of the COVID stuff. So they've taken it very seriously and I feel okay now. But actually for about two weeks in March, I had to just stay at home. Mm. So, you know, everyone's talking to me about anxiety and how I'm coping, but, you know, how people should cope. And, of course, my book has come at this confluence in life that's, wow. I mean, I had nothing to do with coronavirus. <laughs> yes. Thanks, President Trump. I promise you I don't. I didn't, but, wow. It's, it's come out at, at, at a specifically amazingly prescient time. Yeah. And so I'm speaking to coronavirus a lot and how we all need to be and what's helpful. And and sometimes I think, oh, man, I just want to be at home and (laughs) not talk to anybody. Yeah. So so while I'm saying all these things and, you know, partly I thought about the other day. It's not as if we're supposed to find our inner, inner person and become a better person. It's just about coping and we have to cope. And at times, I haven't been coping great. So what have I been doing? I've been eating lots of chocolate and chips and drinking wine and going, fuck it, I'm not going to do anything. (laughs) (laughs) And I haven't, and I haven't, and I've been saying to everyone, hey, make sure you exercise and get your sleep right. And then I've just been feeling like a fat, lazy slob. You know, that lovely meme that's going around of the walrus. I love these memes. I've been sharing it with everybody, talking about how to cope of the walrus going, after COVID, what shall I go to first, AA or Weight Watchers? <laughs> I made that joke this morning as the, the garbage men so kindly came past and emptied out. It's a recycling day in our neighbourhood, and as they're coming by, you can hear all the bottles just clanging into the back of the truck. And I said to Audrey, there goes all the self-medication for the street. <laughs> There's all the coping mechanisms just being bundled off into the back of the truck. You want to ask how people are going? Ask the garbage men. Garbage men know. (laughs) They know what you're drinking. (laughs) But, of course, you know, in South Africa, and my father's a whiskey drinker. You know, he drinks every night, and he's 82. And you can't just stop drinking. So South Africa made the wise decision, I think, in many ways, because, as you know, it fuels domestic violence and there's a whole lot of problems with alcohol. But people are really struggling. And, you know, for a month, he hasn't been... What decision did South Africa make? Total lockdown. And, you know, you don't want it in the townships there. I mean, it's it's a complete disaster if it were to get into the townships, you know, the TB, HIV, Mm. all those things. But, of course, it's an interesting issue there. It's been labeled the white man's disease and the real political issues around it because, hey, who else can go to Italy in March? But 
the richer folk. Of course, there's a black middle class too. But And so it's causing real consternation in, in, in terms of that. But people are staying at home. You aren't even allowed to walk your dog. So there are these wonderful memes of, you know, what should I dress to take out the rubbish? Because that's the only time you can leave your house. Yeah. And my parents are in a retirement village, which is wonderful. They can still walk around it. It's about 1.6 kilometers. and. Mm. And so they, they're managing. But my father's had to forage for some whiskey from a neighbor. And my sister had to come and drop it in, 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 in hidden in a little parcel at the gate because they're not allowed. And that's the reality of this issue for some people, I suppose. But they're managing. And it's hard being away from one's parents. I'm 55 next week. And I was supposed to be with them for that. So that's, mm. that's a sad part of this for me. But I have been thinking about some of the positive aspects of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And wow, I feel calmer in a way. I'm not rushing around. Conferences, I was supposed to present in Melbourne a couple of weekends ago. And John and I are actually, big shock, getting on better. <laughs> We're actually getting on better. Yeah. He yeah. made the point that he feels that I'm, I'm actually more relaxed and, and less stressed. Uh, on one level, I am, and you know, but of course, now that everyone's adjusted, mm. like we're talking now, everyone's gone. Okay, Skype, Zoom, blah blah blah. I've heard so much about Zoom in the last couple of weeks. I'm doing webinars, conversations like this via Skype, and so everyone's sort of adjusted. Now it's got busy again. I don't know if you've mm. noticed that. You know, we were all hunkering down in March, working out our weird new reality, and now we're adapting to it. Mm. I've been talking a lot about this in that it would be an extraordinary shame if we as a global community had this experience and didn't change at least some approach to how we were going about this kind of endless hamster wheel of consume, work, earn, consume, work, earn, consume, work, earn. There's got to be something else. And in this time where we've been forced to sit around, just sit at home, be with people, figure out how to be with people better, ask your neighbours are they okay, try and exercise. There's some things that have been happening during this time that I personally, I'm, I'm a adoring man, I'm absolutely adoring. I got a call yesterday, bear in mind it's weeks away, but there's, there's a bit of work coming up and I was like, oh, because I've been getting up every, I've been getting up every morning at you know five, whatever five thirty, whenever baby wakes up, and I'm being with baby until he has his first nap at about nine, and just adoring that time with him. And then when he goes to lie down, I'll try, I'll train with my neighbour, or we'll ride a bike with Audrey, and then hang out with those guys, do a podcast in the middle of the day, hang out with baby and, and feed him, and have a bath, and put him to bed at six, and then watch Ozark. It's fucking great. You're right. And it's just – so we, we went for a two-hour walk with our sons the other day. Amazing. And like you're younger, but I, I tell you what, I haven't seen so many people walking their dogs and mm. kids since the 1970s. Yeah. There's got to be something there, Mark. There's got to be something that we are experiencing now that we go, you know what, this is actually worth not doing something else so I can do this, you know? I, I think in, you obviously hit the nail on the head there, Osha, and I think we do need to acknowledge that Mother Earth is going – Thank God yeah. for staying at home. Yeah. 60 million turtles I read somewhere the other day reached the coast of India because they weren't snatched and eaten. Wow. I mean, that's quite amazing. 60 million. 60 million. 
That's a lot. That's a lot <laughs> of turtles. So don't fact check, but I think I think I read that. I had to look again at the actual figure. It's it's, yeah. it's amazing. But also, you can't tell me that our system of you know that hamster wheel is great when after one paycheck being missed, the whole lot is in chaos and turmoil. Yeah. And even when we were looking at me the other day, John's going, Jesus, are you okay? I was going a bit worried. Well, why are you asking so solicitously? And he's going, well, if you get sick, we can't pay the mortgage. Mm. And that comes crashing down. Yeah. You miss a couple of paychecks. And so who the hell is benefiting from this system? Certainly not all of us earning and paying mortgages. Yeah, it's definitely making me think a lot about contingencies and how uh, leveraged I am as far as just trusting that the work will still be there and that some shock won't come along. I mean, honestly, man, I think we are really lucky that it is what it is, that the mortality rate is so low. You look at the last coronavirus, MERS had a mortality rate of 30%. 10 of your friends get it, three will die. Like that is heavy heavy, heavy, heavy. And I don't think it's alarmist to say it's a matter of time before something like that actually happens on this scale. And we have to be ready for that sort of thing. We can't pretend that that won't happen. And this is a real great dress rehearsal, I think. There's so many things we're realizing as a community. And I certainly can't remember a time in my life when the entire world was experiencing the same thing. I can't remember a time in history. No, well, again, you just said I was going to. I was going to say it's a dress rehearsal. As a, as a yeah. doctor, we've been saying for a while that this is going to happen. Yeah, and we have to look at how we deal with our world and how we treat animals. And it's not as if we've got a Mars colony to escape to. No. <laughs> this is it. We are here, yeah. and we have to get it right. Yeah, we talk about we're in this together, but some are more equally so. I mean, I love being in our house in the mountains, and I've got half an acre, and we walk, and we've got wonderful neighbours, and it's quiet. But you know, some people aren't as lucky. Yeah, and so in our lucky country, at least the government has stepped up. And you know me by now. I sort of think, my God, he's actually not doing too badly. And then again, he'll give a mixed message, you know, the prime minister. And imagine if a Labour government had put forward all these proposals, there would be baying mm. from the benches across yeah. Yeah. The, the floor. So it's a very interesting time. But yeah. of course, I was thinking today of those on working holiday visas mm. or I think that's the sad thing, and we as a country should embrace everyone who's here and go, hey, whether you're Australian or not, we need to help you out mm-hmm. because that that's an issue. It's a big issue. Yeah. And then I went, <laughs> sorry, I, got, I, went, I went in a chat room to, of psychiatrists. Can you imagine 550 psychiatrists online from New South Wales? And I did make a little point. I said, look, we're lucky we're still working. Yeah. So when we're working from home, and I'm belt billing a lot, but of course in Campbelltown I belt bill a lot anyway, and, and it's volume, you know, we see a lot of people. And so it's not changing my practices hugely. I'm having a wonderful chat to my patients from the comfort of my own home and still earning money. And so then I did make the point of going, well, luckily I don't have very expensive overpriced private school fees to pay. So. <laughs> yeah. On, on that, and the new book is something that I'm, I'm very grateful you're putting it out into the world. The way you write about mental health is incredibly refreshing and we're lucky that you have the ability to communicate the way you do. On the subject of anxiety, which is the, the, the second book is, is about that, what's the difference between 
Like there's surely there's a difference between the kind of anxiety you feel like, oh, I'm unemployed right now versus everyone's unemployed right now. There's got to be a difference when it's not just you feeling this. Yeah, a couple of things. And, and thank you, Osho, because you've been so amazing as a part of my book and my journey. Thank you for that. Thank you, brother. And your narrative and everyone's narratives in the book are so refreshing and empowering and amazing. But I'll answer that in a way because I'm asked this quite a bit. What's the difference between anxiety and the anxiety we're feeling now for the coronavirus and being unemployed and, and, and worrying about the future, right? In fact, it's very similar. So we've got this horrible worried feelings, thoughts, physical responses, that fight or flight response, but it's in connection with something. So often people will say, I'm feeling anxious because I've got an exam. So it's very linked to events or an event. The main difference between anxiety disorder and what we've just been discussing is that you have these horrible feelings and thoughts when you're just sitting having a nice conversation like we're having. And that, I think, is a, is a fairly good way to look at it. And it's when you certainly don't expect to have these responses. Mm. I've had it described as it's like, you know, you're on, a, on the 20th floor of an office building and the fire alarm goes off and it's not a fire drill. And then suddenly everyone realizes, oh, shit, there's a fire alarm and I'm 20 floors up. We've got to get out of here. We've got to go now. But anxiety or an anxiety disorder is that fire alarm going off, but just for you. And yeah. you suddenly filled with this, I've got, to, I've, got, I've, got to, I've got to, I've got to escape. I've got to get down the stairs. I've got to, but you know, no one else is understanding that that's happening. And um, that's kind of what I. That's very similar to what I've, I've just said. And, and uh, you're right. Because I've also been asked, well, what's the evolutionary reason for us having anxiety, right? But it actually is to survive. Mm. So in that fire alarm, your sphincters clench, your eyes dilate, your heart pumps, your muscles get activated, and you bound down those 20 floors in half the time it normally takes you. Mm. That's to survive. The problem is this survival adrenaline instinct, which you should have when a pack of lions is coming running to you in the savannah, and you don't need it because you're just trying to watch television with your family or you, mm. you know, walking with your dog. That's the difference. And, yeah. it's, and it's really horrible, but I tell you, it's really interesting from that. I had a friend who found me the other day. He just had a panic attack, and he went, you know, me and swearing, but he went, for fuck's sake, do you mean to say that you and your patients you see experience this sort of stuff all the time? And I said, yes, they do. <laughs> and actually, after all this, people like you and others will suddenly realize what mental health actually means. I'm hoping that's going to be mm. the case. And I think it will be. Because as you quite rightly said earlier, wow, everyone's feeling this now. Mm. We're all feeling some sense of stress, anxiety, fearful thoughts of the future and actually having to cope with these things. And then you think, hopefully in an empathic way, wow, people with mental health conditions have to deal with this all the time. So that was, that was interesting. When it comes to something that is so like you said, I'm not afraid of an exam or, you know, this particular moment, like there's this giant nebulous unanswered question of, will I be able to afford Christmas presents? Will there be a second spike 
of infections, when they open the restrictions a little, will we then get locked down again? When the stimulus package runs out in six months, what happens when they say there's no more? You know, all these things are so piling upon piling upon piling upon piling because it's so not linked to anything tangible, like an exam, that all it is is two hours long. If I fail it, I fail it, but I, I know I can sit in the room and, and do it, and then this feeling will go away. This idea that I won't have an answer. Probably for a couple of years, I won't have an answer about what things are going to be like. That's a big thing to bear for someone who's never had to deal with this kind of thing. It is, that uncertainty and stress. And we've got to watch out because what happens then is that then we reach for the self-medication or we increase our road rage or domestic violence goes up because you're taking your frustration that you can't cope with and that's so new to you out and available soft targets. So we've got to watch that. So we have to ensure that our mental health vocabulary and understanding expands to deal with this and that we do manage to speak about it more as, as you and I are now and ensure that people understand what's going on because you have to acknowledge what's going on. We can't pretend it's not happening. That's not a good defense mechanism either. And whilst you don't know what the future holds, none of us have that crystal ball, at least we know that we are lucky in this country. We and New Zealand are doing the best in the world. And I'm very proud of that. And I'm proud to be an Australian in this moment with that response. But we have to keep going and we have to keep supporting each other. And it brings me back to just being kind and compassionate. I know I say that, but it's with meaning. I love my philosopher Cinderella. Have courage and be kind. We do have to remember that. And we have that sense of mateship in Australia and we can support each other. And you mentioned neighbours earlier. You know, we all have communities. Not all of us. Some are isolated. We've got to be aware of that. But we have communities. And our communities our family, friends, neighbours, work colleagues, my patients. I mean, I'll get emotional now, you know, but I was at home and my patients, it's not just about themselves. They always check in with me. How are you doing, Mark? Mm. And I go, hey, I'm getting paid to ask you how you're doing. You don't have to worry. But it's a wonderful thing. I feel connected with the people that I treat. and, And isn't that amazing? And we do have to look out for each other. And it's not just pie in the sky stuff. I think that's social media even seems to be kinder at the moment. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When it comes to being with that uncertainty, you mentioned that it can come out in other ways. You mentioned road rage. You mentioned, you know, unfortunately, and we know it's it has an uptick. You mentioned, you know, the tendency towards domestic violence. What are some other things that people may not realise are linked 
to this uncertainty and that, that they're unable to deal with their uncertainty directly and so it's, it's popping out, it's leaking in different directions? You've got to watch out for the irritability. Mm-hmm. So when people start getting cranky, of course you react when people get angry or cranky and then you've got to go, oh, hold on. Why are you feeling like this? Why am I feeling like this? Mm-hmm. This isn't normally me. And then I have to look at my sleep. Not many people, I wouldn't say nobody, there's some people actually sleeping fairly well, but increasing medication use is helping that. Sleep is a big issue at the moment. And so when you're not sleeping, you are getting more irritable and cranky. So, you you know, that's part of that anxious mood sort of response. Uh, And that's a big one. That is a big one. And also hitting the bottle too much. Some mindfulness. So this is my little mantra at the moment. I've got a couple. Mindfulness is really just focusing on the present, being in the present with what you're doing and who you're with. And you you encapsulated so well earlier. You get up, you're with Audrey, you're with your family, going for a cycle ride, you're seeing your neighbors, you're spending time with Bob, and you're focusing on that. And that gives you a sense of peace and calm. And it's a wonderful moment because you're in the moment, and that really helps. But I'm I'm incredibly privileged in that. And I was speaking about this on the show the other day, and I, I changed accountants a couple of years ago. And they were like, you should really have some sort of – because you have work in a seasonal industry, man. You really need to set you up to make sure. Like if one of these shows doesn't go ahead, you need to be okay. And so they were very clever and put something together for me, and we're very grateful that's there now because it's allowed us to exist in this time when there's no work. However – I do what I do for a living. There are people who perhaps work in hospitality and have worked at the same restaurant for the last 10 years and, you know, they were going paycheck to paycheck and now those jobs don't exist and they literally have, what I read this morning, there's a a, a mum, she had 16 bucks for five weeks. That was the money she had. And it's all well and good for us to sit here in the safety of our homes, uh, my home and your office going, uh, be mindful. But if you're, if you're a single mum with 16 bucks and you're waiting on some payment from the government that's five weeks away, it's hard, man. It's hard to be mindful. What can you do in that situation? That is very hard. And it just it has made me a bit mad, you know, in terms of being angry. When you've got someone on his private island owning an airline and going to the government for a taxpayer's bailout after not paying tax for so many years and not actually obviously understanding what trickle-down economics is supposed to mean because it's all crap anyway, and sitting on wealth hoarding. People who hoard wealth are worse than people who hoard toilet papers. But anyway, you know, coming back to the – I mentioned earlier, we're not all equal in this, and this is a very difficult thing for us to bear. We are – Although, at least in the country where no one is going to starve to death or be put out destitute, because we have systems in place. And that's why it's so important. Who likes paying their tax? Not me. But we have these systems in place, the government transfers. Mm. And we are supposed to, as a country, look after our most vulnerable. And that really is a hallmark of what a civilized society is and should be. So that that's horrible, but at least you know that that person will get some benefit and will hopefully have family and other support. Yes, I know. It, it, this is a very difficult thing, and I see it in my practice, yeah. Asha. I've uh, treated a couple of people um, recently who are foreigners, and they're sitting at home 
two in the hospitality, exactly what you just described, in the hospitality industry, needing medication. And they've gone to me, God, Doc, um, if I can um, maybe transfer money later, I said, for God's sake, don't you dare say something like that. I don't need your money. I understand absolutely what's happening. I'll send you the script. I've got money from elsewhere. On a personal level, because it can feel overwhelming, on a personal level, you have to, all of us, have to do what we can. And, I, you know, I hate talking about myself, but as you, as you say, what do you do? Well, I give my time to charity. I donate to charity. I bought a patient uh, an airline ticket to go to his mother in Queensland just before the borders closed because they cancelled his train. And he's on the DSP. He couldn't have done it. And I was worried he was going to go back to his flat in Redfern and just come out of rehab. And I knew, mm. I knew he would relapse again. Yeah. So yeah. what do you do? Well, you can't sit in your throne. And it comes down to also coming to work. And please tell me if I'm waffling too much. No, no, mate, you're fine. I'm going to ramble here. But as a senior doctor, I can do telehealth from home. It's our frontline staff, our junior doctors, nurses, paramedics, they're the ones who now, luckily it hasn't gone to the stage of New York. And just on that, you know, that Dr. Breen and I, I, you know, I posted something on Twitter about her. I mean, that's just, you know, that's that physician who, who suicided. It was just too much for her and, and she'd given her life and she literally gave her life for her work. And so I don't want to be seen at a remove as a privileged person who doesn't need to leave one's house and other people can just do things for me. I've never been comfortable with that and I never will be. And that's why, in a way, I'm coming to work because it's also good for staff morale and support and all those things that I hold dear in my practice. And I've dealt with this all my life, you know. I come from South Africa, from a, and we've chatted about this before, from a privileged position. I've always been aware of how privileged I am. But, you know, you can't be everything to all people. And you can't do everything, but you can do something. And I think all of us have to look at what we can do. And you know what we can do? We can not be assholes. And we can actually be nice. And we can be kind. And we can show a little bit of patience and compassion. And, hell, I struggle in my car, but I'm trying. But, you know, we can do all those things. And we can. We've, we've gone up in, in our neighborhood to we know a couple of people who live alone. And we've gone up to their house and gone, hey, how are you doing? Do you need anything? And, you know, the one woman burst into tears. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, you go, uh, isn't that common human decency? So... Again, I'll stop there. I'm, I'm rambling. No, you're not. You're things. not at all, Mark. Because you're you're really uh, you know, the thing that got us as a species to be so extraordinarily successful and dominant on this planet was our ability to communicate with each other and cooperate on a shared idea and a protection of a of a larger community. All right, that's how we got to where we are. And then in this modern time, we were talking before about you know what are the things that are from our current system of living. We constantly seek to isolate ourselves. We constantly seek to know I have to be, even in a room full of, a house full of people, I have to be in a room by myself staring at a fucking device because I don't want to actually be with the other people in the house I live in, you know? But 
that's not what we are and how we evolved as humans. If we got this fight or flight thing from the savannah in our back, in the back of our lizard brain, like let's not forget the other things that came with us to get us here. Absolutely. And and but we're hardwired to respond to that. I'm sure once you went and talked to your neighbour, you and your husband, you were like, you know what? Inside our bodies, we feel we feel better for talking to her, and we're hardwired for that. We're hardwired to help each other. But that's the whole point. We are social creatures and we develop in a herd and that herd is our community. And the problem with our capitalist society is it's about the individual and the individual is nothing without support and family and friends and all those things you mentioned. And that's the system that hopefully will change after this because, hey, let's face it. Socialism doesn't look too shabby now, does it? Like, but what really gets me is people don't understand social. They conflate it with communism. And even communism wasn't really Marxism. Marx was just so prescient and amazing. All socialism means is that we pay tax because we help vulnerable in our society, but you can still earn as much money as you want as long as you do it in a proper way. And the people serving your lattes on a Saturday are getting paid a decent wage. And we own our land and utilities. Uh, that's not so difficult, is it? You can still have private property. You can still leave it to your children. And you can still live a life that's fairly luxurious. It just means that you don't do it at the expense of somebody else. It's not such a hard concept. I was thinking about that in the shower this morning. I'm like... Hang on, because I was thinking about socialism and Marxism, and I was like, hang on, as a podcaster, I have effectively seized the means of production. I am making <laughs> my very own podcast. Does that make me a Marxist? Because I own a microphone. <laughs> it, it depends who you're going to share it with. Oh, it's true. That's true. I put ads on it, so it's, it is. But it, no, but it, it is interesting, man. And and obviously, I know we've spoken about this when we were both on the board at Sane Australia. It's been in the newspaper, so I'm not. I am not going to say anything out of school here. The cost of the mental health burden of something like this is something to be taken into account. And, you know, this isn't just us talking airy-fairy stuff. We live in a country with a universal healthcare system. We live in a country where our tax dollars pay for healthcare and mental health. What did I see the other day? One million telehealth psychology consults in the last month got bulk billed. Like, that's, that's phenomenal, man. And so good mental health is good for the whole country when you think about, you know, how we, how we pay for a lot of our healthcare system. You know, and I've done some statistics. I've looked at this in the book, and I can't remember them now. You know, I'm going to be tongue-tied if I try to. But there's an investment return, especially if you're looking for depression and anxiety, which affects a huge amount of people. There's an investment return for every dollar spent. You get much more back in terms of society as a whole. If you look at functioning, coping, going to work, other people, carers, family members affected, all being sorted better by an enhanced system. But, you know, we also know that our current models are completely underfunded and need a big shake-up. And hopefully they won't be sort of prey to economic tightening, which I think will definitely be a result of what we're going through now. Mm. This can't be without its mm. economic consequences. There, there might be people who are listening to you. This might be the very first time they've heard a psychiatrist speak. You know, there might be people who have never, ever been to a psychiatrist that think they never need to go. But 
This is also people who may have, in the last week or so, felt horrible pains in their body, felt weirdness, felt their hearts, you know, changing pace, felt their throat tighten, you know, and not realise oh, this is the symptoms of anxiety. These physical symptoms are symptoms of anxiety. And suddenly it is now in their interest to understand what it is. When I first decided to get on meds in 2007, it was when I was experiencing those physical symptoms. So I had no idea that it could actually feel like somebody I couldn't see was holding my throat. I could feel an actual pressure on the outside of my neck. It was super, super weird. And for many people, as you mentioned, your colleague the other day, this might be the first time in their lives they're experiencing this. So if people are experiencing this stuff for the first time, what are some immediate like in the moment triage tactics that they might be able to take on board to try and deal with the situation while they think about how they might get help down the track? Quickly, just to talk a bit more about the physical symptoms. So anxiety generally can be separated into intellectual thinking, horrible thoughts and the physical responses. And sometimes one follows the other, right? So you mentioned the heart. So the heart's very much implicated in anxiety. And a lot of people, including a few friends of mine with anxiety disorders, their first contact with services was ambulance emergency department because they thought they were having a heart attack because it feels as if you're about to die. And, of course, if you don't know what's going on, of course you're going to worry about that. So the heart is so linked with anxiety, heart racing, which you call palpitations, but also shaking, which you call tremors, that's sweaty palms, increased sweatiness generally, and your heart, your, your chest feeling like it's constricting with shortness of breath and breathing problems. Of course, your head can feel like it's in a vice as well, and your bowels can go boom, you know, get diarrhea or horrible bloating. So the bowels, skin, heart. So when you're experiencing some of these things and you're sort of thinking, okay, this may well be linked to my stress rather than me having a heart attack, and I never say don't get it checked out because it's difficult sometimes because you don't want to miss the heart flutter that can actually cause anxiety, but you fix the heart flutter and you don't have anxiety anymore. So, you know, it's always useful getting yourself physically checked out at times as a caveat. But when you're experiencing something like that, you go, okay, I'm going to look at my breathing. I'm going to go for a walk. So if you're going for a walk or doing some exercise, you're naturally increasing your heart rate. So then your heart rate sitting okay with you and you're breathing deeper which is sending great signals back to your heart going okay hold on this is exercise you're calming yourself down and the endorphins are then coming rather than just the adrenaline so often going for a walk when you're feeling that sort of rage that almost starts coming that adrenaline is useful and that's why even at work when i have my patients return to work i always have a plan in place for at times, they just give them a signal to a mentor or someone at work, and they go for a quick walk around the block and then come back. And that really, really helps. The meditation and breathing and stretching is really useful as well. And I make the point in the book going, oh, my God, if another person told me to do yoga, I was about to scream. <laughs> and, 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 hey, and I did yoga, and big surprise, it really helps. Uh, you know, and it took me 50 years to work that one out. So exercise doesn't have to be major exercise. We're just talking a walk, stretching, making sure that even if you're sitting – on the couch watching TV, don't use the remote, go and change channel or, you know, with Netflix, don't just lounge there, just press after an episode, 
and take 10 minutes just to go do something in the house, stretch a bit, come back. I even do that at work. So I do a lot of my work sitting down and chatting like we're doing now. But it's actually important in between to do a little, few little exercises, breathing and tensing your muscles and relaxing that relaxation therapy. Anyone can do that anywhere. So you're mentioning like so breathe in, holding your legs tight or a clench your fist, and then as you breathe out, letting the muscles go. Is that what you're describing? Yes. You start with your neck. So you can you can start with your hands and breathing. So you breathe in, you clench your hands. Then you unclench your hands and breathe out. Some people find it hard to count breath and it makes them more anxious. So I say just hold for a bit, breathe out, hold for a bit. Breathe in. And actually, that's a good sleeping technique. Mm. So the thoughts are racing and you're worrying about, you know, food on the table next week, all those things. Breathing and holding in for a count of five and then breathing out and holding for a count of five. Doing that a couple of times actually relaxes your body and it's a feedback loop to that system at the back of your brain. You talked about the lizard brain earlier that actually um, calms things down for you and actually has an effect on your brain waves. I definitely know this because it's weird. It's a part of me that has spurned my career forward, but I know it can also be a damaging part of me is that there's a part where I just immediately want to get into action, like straight away. I have to get into action because I just can't bear with being in the uncomfortability of it. I can't bear it in my body. I have to do something. I have to do anything. If you're itching to do something, what's something that you can do that could be helpful? But again, you've, you've got it absolutely spot on. The adrenaline rush at that time is making you feel like you have to jump over a wall or go mountain climbing. So you have to do something physical. So a lot of uh, people that I treat have little boxing bags at home. So they go and beat the boxing bag for 20 minutes. So you have to Take that energy somehow mm. and deal with it. But sometimes that's not enough. And that's where some medication helps. So, you know, so Valium or something that just works as required, but you can balance in a holistic way. And I always think of medication in a holistic way that actually can also just stop that if, if other things aren't working. But it's about the physicality. Mm. And that's why... Even if you're in a rage, all that anxiety stuff that I talked about earlier can be rage and crankiness. You don't want to try and cope with the thinking then and talk it out. That's not the time to do so. You have to give 20 minutes to half an hour to try and get some of this physical stuff out of the way. And then you can go practice your breathing yeah. and talking. Does that make sense? I know the feeling it, it, when you kind of feel the, the feeling of being flooded where suddenly you, you kind of fingers get a bit quivery and you want to talk fast and you want to go, but no, I'm right. And you want to get into it. Why 20 minutes to half an hour? Is that because your body's got these chemicals that have just been released and it takes that long for them to dissipate? Yes. So it takes a while for your body just to recalibrate. Mm. So your heart rate's going, you know, 120 it's like going for a run. Mm. You need that cool down period. Mm. Uh, and it's similar to that. So it's that cool down period that is important. Right. Now, if there's people around us that are going through this, like, for example, well, and we might be okay, but we can see that someone we love or someone we care about is dealing, they may not be receptive to like, hey, why don't you just clench your fists and breathe out? Like, what's a way that we can look after people around us who might be going through this? 
Again, the physical thing is important, but so is the distractibility and focusing on something else. That, that, that actually does work. And when you've got somebody helping you guide you almost in a way that works, because what happens with me, for instance, is I unfocus. And it's about helping the person just come back to the moment. So often with anxiety, you can sense that the person's anxious because they you know, flapping a bit or breathing not so well, and they're looking anxious. But actually, some people don't look like that at all. They withdraw into themselves. It's like that deer in the headlights look. And with those people, it's important to help them focus because then they're ruminating, withdrawing a bit, feeling horrible about themselves, remembering trauma, horrible things that happened to them. And it's important to focus them on the here and now. And that's where meditation and a more guided mindfulness is useful. But when somebody's finding it hard to breathe, you looking at them, helping them breathe in tandem, yeah, say, hey, we're not going to talk about anything that's going on with you right now. Just, I'm going to sit with you and I'm going to, we're just going to breathe. If you feel like walking around, we can pace. Look at that couple in Spain. They did a marathon on their little terrace. So <laughs> you don't need a lot of space, right? We're just going to walk up and down this room now without talking. I'm going to put the music on, and that's what we're going to do. And we're going to just march in time for a bit or whatever the person finds helpful. And often, hopefully, they would have you'll be part of their crisis plan. Mm. Not everyone wants to talk about things in the here and now. That's not the way forward. It's about just helping them with their symptoms. Mm -hmm. One of the best ways of doing that is just going, Okay, what do you think you need? What have you used that's been helpful in the past? Let's just keep very practical. Do you want a cup of tea? Mm -hmm. okay. That's worked for countless millions of English people over the decades. So, you know, and by drinking, again, that's that mindfulness stuff. You're going and there's a, there's a nice little way of making tea and stuff, and that calms things down as well. So you want to just try and be as practical as possible. Even folding laundry together, you go, okay, hey, let's just do that. So if it's bloke and you're saying, okay, that's not going to work, okay, you're in, in the house and you yeah. can see starting to really get agitated and rock and go, hey, physical, let's do something physical. Yeah. And by doing that, does that help people kind of connect with what they can see and touch and feel and gets them out of their head a little bit and gets them more in the room? Is that why it works? That's exactly right. And that's, that's really what mindfulness, concentration and focus mm. is all about. But you don't need to focus on anything specific. You just have to be and do something in the, in the moment. You did touch on medication a little earlier and you mentioned uh, the casual use, uh, <laughs> the kind of as-needed medications like a benzodiazepine, like, like a Valium, which personally I can't go near because uh, me and Prince Valium have ridden into the sunset many a night uh, and I'm no longer to be trusted with them. But there may be people listening who are very reluctant to go on medication and very reluctant to admit they might need medication. How would you talk to somebody like that who, who probably realizes they can't, all the coping strategies we've been discussing, all the cognitive behavioral therapy, all the talk therapy, everything's just not quite cutting it. When you come upon someone who would probably really consider medication, but they don't want to, what, what, what do you normally say to them? I say that I feel like a slick snake oil salesman now because I'm trying to sell you products that you're really wary of. I'm just open and honest about it. And I look at 
it in a holistic way. I honestly do. And I wrote the chapter on medication. It took me a long time, you know, Osha. And I'm very open about what I feel about medication and when it's useful and when it's not useful. And a lot of our medication has horrible side effects and there are problems with it and it's not to be taken lightly, the decision. But if you have to take medication, how I start is, hey, let's look at the pros and cons of what I'm going to say to you now. And I'm very open about the person having capacity to make the decision and it has to be in an informed way. And that includes, okay, what will happen if I do take this medication? What are the side effects? What are we hoping for? And crucially, what will happen if I don't take the medication because I've still got the choice? And then I look at just for you, not about anybody else. I just look at you and how it's going to be useful for you or not. Because as you say, you've already tried the therapy, the exercise, the sleep, and those are all useful things. But, you know, if they were all just the things that would fix everything, we wouldn't have mental illness and mental health issues and we wouldn't need medication. And I don't like the fact that when people talk about medication, they can be very anti. It's very useful. And for people who are on medication, they find it really difficult when people are talking about it so negatively and in a pejorative way. Medication is there to help break a cycle. And medication is there to help the symptoms. Oh, my God, it does help the symptoms. It's amazing when it does work. It doesn't work often, but when it does work, it's great. And then you feel in control. And why I like something like the benzodiazepines, which, as you quite rightly say, are drugs of addiction and are problematic, and I'm always aware of the problems involved, I say this gives you the control. And a lot of my patients just carry it around now and don't use it. And every single time I see them, I go, how many have you been using? What have you been using them for? Let's see whether you could have used some other strategies instead. And it works great because they're not using them every day. And you know the difference, right? So it can actually be a very useful thing to get you to the point where you're able to then focus on the exercise and the therapy. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. And def- as someone like me who, man, my ego did not want to admit, I felt it as a failure when I needed to get on meds the first time around. I felt that I had, I didn't want to do it so much because I felt it was, I was weak if I needed to take them. And you just hit the head, nail on the head again. You know, it's, it's negative self-talk. I've had self, self-stigma is the worst kind of yeah. stigma. And then you think about what you just said, and you wouldn't say that to anybody else in that instance. And that's what I say to everyone. But, of course, my patients, I mentioned earlier, you know, they're clever little things at times, and they go every now and then, oh, two went last week. I was saying, stop the self-stigma, be kind to yourself. And they looked at me and went, uh, how's it working for you, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, every now and then I have to take stock and and that's what's what oh, I mean, I hey man, you know I love you and I I, I, I this is such a wonderful conversation. I'm enjoying these sort of things. I'm fifty five next week. Bloody hell, it's a privilege getting older. People with complex mental health conditions, our Aboriginal brothers and sisters don't get there. That's old age for a lot of them. So it's it's amazing. And you know what? And you were part of this process, I have to say, Asha, you were part of this process when we had that, your first podcast or my first podcast with you. And it was supposed to be about Schizophrenia Week. And we started and we went, Samok, 
how was it growing up gay in South Africa? And I went, bloody hell, I thought about schizophrenia. And I just feel with age comes wisdom. And I'm just feeling more confident and happier in myself that I can have these conversations with somebody like you and help others and still be in a path of trying to work things out for myself, but also never being in a position, and it comes back to what we were talking earlier, never being in a position that I behave like an asshole or I feel that I'm better than somebody else. And I think mostly in Australia we can get that and we do get that right. And where the fault lines are shown now in our world, in the USA and England by and large, where there's such a gap between rich and poor and those that have and those that don't. And it's it's frightening how it's being played out in America. You lose your job. Never mind. Here you lose your job and you may be worried about that in the future, but you don't lose your health. You don't lose access to health. That's frightening. I've got a front row. Uh, my my brother and his and his husband live in in Michigan, and um, I used to live in Los Angeles. But Los Angeles is kind of this weird island that lives on the on the edge of the place. It's not really quite it's not really quite America in many ways. Uh, but honestly, my brother he um, where they live, as you know, Detroit was the first major Western city to go completely and fail. And yeah, the. <sighs> The governor of Michigan, she said a couple of really interesting things. Number one, number one, there was people protesting outside her house. She went, listen, your AR-15 won't protect you from coronavirus, mate, <laughs> which I thought was freaking awesome. Um, <laughs> but the other one, she said poverty is a pre-existing condition when it comes to this. And you are absolutely right. This particular virus, this coronavirus, this COVID-19, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, has brought into stark relief, even in very wealthy countries like America and the UK, that it is an extraordinary disease that has impacted social welfare issues just enormously more than we could have possibly comprehended. And I think the ramifications of which, I think, on our whole community will be long-lasting, I feel, Mark. In, in America, two-thirds of Americans are African-American, the ones that are getting this horrible thing. And over 58% or something of mortality, again, are African Americans. And this is not the great leveler. I can't remember her name. It's a wonderful BBC journalist uh, online that I watched a couple of weeks ago. And for the BBC to say something like this was quite amazing. She started going, this is a nonsense. This is not a great leveler. This shows the existing fault lines in our society, and this is affecting the very poor of our society, and it's a real stain on our society because this is happening. And those memes, my favorite meme from last week, but from the Prince Charles ones, we won't go there right now, was what have we learned from COVID-19? Well, 50% of what we currently do can be done from home. And the other 50% have to be paid better. <laughs> Isn't wow. that amazing? It sure is interesting, right? It sure is interesting. It does come back to, though, like, I, I can't change workplace relations. I can't change how companies operate. I can't change any of those things. But as you mentioned before, I can control how much kindness I have and how much empathy I have and how much 
consideration I have of others when I'm out in public. Right before I came into podcast with you, I'd been running the gauntlet up at the shops and look, Mark, there's people who I don't think they got the memo about keeping apart from other people. And there's mm. a, there's people at the shops who are like, I don't think you understand. I have to get to this cash register right now. So I'm going to push past you. Mate, c- come on. We shouldn't really be touching bodies. Like, what are you doing? And it's tough, man. It's tough to stay kind and stay having empathy and not getting upset or cranky. And, you know, I guess I can only, I never know what kind of day that person's having. But still, I've got to try and regulate that crankiness, man, because it's in there. I get frustrated, Mark. It's important to, uh, on a couple of things that you just said, right? Uh, I took my son to get takeaway uh, a couple of weeks ago, and there were four young people hanging outside the takeaway place I was going to, and they weren't keeping distance. So, And I did say to them, look, are you guys related? I, just before I ask you, you know, why you're not maintaining physical distancing, that social distancing I can't stand, but healthy distancing. And I said it in a way, because I've got to try, it's like sending an email, right? So you think, stop, think again before mm. you say something. And it is so hard because, you know, it rises up in you. And as you know, with my anxiety as well, foot and mouth disease is never far behind by anything. But I do think we have to call it out. But the way we call it out is important. And so with them, I said, look, guys, you know, I've got my son here. I've been trying to teach him, he's nine, about this distancing thing. And then I see you guys, come on. Surely you understand that we're in this together and we've got to try and, 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 and do this in a proper way. And, of course, what happened, they came into the shop after me, didn't they? But then they, then they were all showing their arms and, and moving away and looking at me. So it was actually quite a – then I felt quite old, actually, because they listened to me. But – we do have to call it out. Mm. We don't have to be horrible about it. And that's hard, but I'm, I'm trying desperately. But I, I'm not going to not say something. And you said earlier you, you can't change practice. Well, of course you can, Oshie. You've got a great reach. We both have, in a way, a reach. And we have to agitate and continue being agitators as much as we can because that's how true change happens. We've become these mushrooms. Marx talked about religion being the opium of the masses. Television and our smartphone screens have lulled and dulled us into non-thinking people. And hopefully this is going to make us go, hmm, we need to look at what we're doing. We need to change. We need to support that change. And I'm certainly, I'm not going to go back to business as usual. I don't want to ever think that we're going to go back to business as usual. And, and that's something that we all can, I think, have an impact on. You can have a major one. And just doing something like this is already making a difference. The idea of business as usual is uh, that's an interesting three words because I think people are generally quite afraid of change. And I'm so getting into Marcus Aurelius lately, and uh, he talks about change. He talks about you can't have a warm bath without the wood having to change. To burn it, the wood has to change for you to have a warm bath. Okay, there's change in everything. You're foolish if you believe that, you know, nature is change. Embrace it. Be a part of it. And we're in the middle of the change right now where the the ball's in the air, where the pack of cards has been thrown in the sky. Change can be frightening, but change can also be incredibly positive, right, Mark? You know, but also the way to change is by example Mm -hmm. and 
going along with people. So, and you are one of my inspirations. You know, I gave up meat last year because of you. Hey. Yeah. So you affected you affected good change. And I was tired of talking to John. Eventually, rolled his eyes and go, oh, just either stop eating meat or stop going on about it. So <laughs> I decided to go with it. And that was because of you. Right. And actually, it's, it hasn't been as hard as I thought it would be. You know, the South African boy who's been eating meat since he could he cut his teeth, right? You've had enough borewurst. There's been enough briar in your life. You'll be okay. <laughs> Absolutely, for three lifetimes, no doubt. Yeah. But you know, people, and sometimes people will say, "Oh, you can talk. You, you, you know, you're talking about this. That's wonderful. You, you know, your latte sip or whatever." I'm going, oh, well, actually, if you don't know, you don't know my background. I'm not a latte sipper. But you have to go. Okay, I'm being asked. Well, what are you doing? Well, I'm looking at. I've stopped eating meat, and I am not flying anymore. Not just because of COVID. We're already looking at, and we, as you know, fly a lot. I'm not going to go to same board meetings in Melbourne anymore. You can't. We now know we can have these meetings via the airwaves. Why would we, anyone, fly down to Melbourne for a day meeting or fly to Adelaide as we have been doing in Australia? Those are the things that I think definitely will have to change. Productivity has gone up with people being at home. So now companies, and I've had a couple of my patients, and you know I see a wide variety across the social spectrum. All of them have said, I've been trying to get my boss to let me work from home for ages. And he said, no, you can't do your job from home. Uh, well, that's bullshit, <laughs> actually. And now <laughs> everyone's working from home and we're managing. Yeah. And everyone's also said, wow, I feel so much better because I don't have to drive. And yes, I don't have a couple of kids screaming, running around home when I'm trying to do my work. Not all the time, as you know, it's great handing them back. So uh, I'm not for one moment saying this is the way forward. But uh, what I'm saying, as I always say, is the balance. We're getting the balance right. And after this, I'm definitely going to do a couple of days work from home. Uh, Absolutely. There's the idea of having online meetings and and, uh, Zoom meetings going forward. I relish not having to battle a freeway. And and I think, you know, it's just a case of, bosses trusting that their employees would take care of it and people will clearly take all the files appear in the folder like looks done looks written to me ripper off you go <laughs> go and have a nice walk with the dog <laughs> go and do your thing well the other day it was raining and i, I was so all my friends were laughing at me because i wasn't i didn't change out of my Qantas pajamas the whole day <laughs> 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 I said, I'm pretending I'm on a flight. I was supposed to fly to South Africa today, so I'm, <laughs> I'm pretending I'm on my flight. I love it, man. I absolutely love it. Well, Mark, look, mate, I could honestly, I could talk to you for ages, buddy. I'm just so grateful that you took the time to come on the show. And I'm, I'm trying to have as, a number of conversations with mental health professionals to try and put as many tools as I possibly can into the conversation around the uncertainty that's going on at the moment. Because I guess I, I consider myself a little lucky in that I have had to go through a lot of work, not only in from my PTSD diagnosis on through my sobriety and, and now, in that I feel kind of more prepared to deal with the uncomfortable feelings and with the anxiety, with the, you know, I, I have a tool set. I know what to do when this stuff shows up. 
But for many people, this might be the first time they've ever had any of these symptoms and the yeah. first time they've ever dealt with, oh, shit, the sky's falling. Well, it isn't. It's a lovely day outside and the birds are tweeting and everything's great. But in your body, you think that the world is ending. This might be the first time anyone's ever felt that. And so just trying to, in an accessible way, putting these conversations out there, I'm grateful that you and your voice is a part of it. And, um, I, of course, I will recommend your books highly to anybody that would possibly feel like reading them. And I can't wait for the audio book because I love your voice. <laughs> oh, well, that's got, oh, you're so wonderful. But, you know, and it's lovely talking to you anytime. And I think this is what I, I like doing. It's about empowering people and getting knowledge out there and helping people take control of things, which is, is, a, is a big passion of mine. Hmm. But the book itself, it means a lot because, you know, I, don't, I, I find it difficult to push myself forward. But I'm, I'm very proud of the book. It actually took three years to write. And you, as I said, you were part of it. And I've got these wonderful people part of the journey. And people are finding it quite useful, which is a lovely thing for an author and a psychiatrist to know that actually I'm not just writing some esoteric nonsense for you know, some journal that nobody's going to read. This has been quite a, a useful thing for people. And, and that just is amazing to hear. And so we can talk whenever you want about things like that and maybe a more practical thing in a month or whatever. Mate, I would, I would really love that. But, you know, love to Audrey and your family and you have a lovely day and it was wonderful seeing you as usual. You're the best ever, Mark. I, I adore talking to you and I'm so grateful that people can hear your voice and they can then have a different idea of what a psychiatrist is versus the internet trope or the TV trope or the movie trope of what a psychiatrist is. <laughs> no, it's someone with kindness and compassion and true investment in the well-being of the people that he cares for. And that's been my experience of you and other doctors. And I'm very grateful that we can show that it's not always what makes a good movie. <laughs> no. Anyway, you're making me emotional now. So, uh. All right, brother. Have a beautiful <laughs> night with the family. So good to see you, Mark. Thanks, man. Cheers. That was Dr. Mark Cross. Isn't he delightful? You can find him on Twitter at Dr. M. Cross. His new book is called Anxiety, expert advice from a neurotic shrink who's lived with anxiety all his life. It's out right now, wherever you get your books, and you might find a quote from a podcaster with a familiar name on the cover of the book. Um, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for making the time to listen to the show. Thank you very much, Rachel Barrett, the producer of my life, who makes everything possible. Thank you, Andy Ma, who worked uh, extra hard this week uh, on my whims of kind of trying to amplify a few things here and there. Andy, thank you very much. And Haley as well for looking after all the social stuff. Audrey, my beautiful wife, who looked after the baby this morning so I could go and ride my bicycle. Audrey, I adore you. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Because without you, there is no show. There really is no show. I cannot make any of this or do any of this without you and I'm so grateful that you listened because I adore making this show and it brings me immense joy and um, a great amount of value and I certainly hope that you get some of that too. Thanks heaps for listening. I'm off to a family do. Less than five people. <laughs> I promise you. Um, which is wild because the minimum compliment of Audrey's family is 23 so I don't know how we managed to do just five but we got we did cool all right until we speak next time uh on friday sleep well dream of beautiful things even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.